Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching, and welcome to an episode in our series on independent reading. So I had, I'm Marie, in case you, sorry, I probably should have said that in the first place. I had the fantastic opportunity to catch up with a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast, Dr. Jenna Copper. Jenna is one of the first teachers who I really met through like teacher social media. And it was just one of those moments of like, oh, yes, we are going to be friends. Jenna is absolutely amazing. She and I got to chit chat about one of both of our favorite subjects, but you'll hear, especially through like just the excitement and passion in Jenna's voice, how much she loves to talk about independent reading and student choice when it comes to reading, especially. Uh, One of the first things that we connected on the two of us was our joy that we get out of reading like YA fantasy books and being able to share that type of joy of reading with our students in ways that often, you know, an English teacher that talks about reading kind of fluffy, like fantasy, YA fantasy at that makes your high school students go, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to just read Charles Dickens? Like, that's it. Um, And so it's just kind of a funny little touch point that the two of us both have. And we talk in our conversation about a lot of the development development of some very cool ways to position units within your curriculum, how to approach students with choice, because that in and of itself, anybody that has given students choice before, or if you listen to our rerun episode last week, talking where Amanda and I talked through the pitfalls and the benefits of choice in the classroom and that just kind of like the best practices for that. Jenna has experienced all of the same things. So approaching students with choice strategically and in a way that is controlled and is still very productive is very much part of our conversation. And then just some like great ideas. If you don't already know Jenna, I have her bio up from her website because like who better than herself to let us know like where she is coming from and her experience that has brought her here. When I met Jenna, she was a high school teacher, full-time high school teacher. And she has now, um, with, with two kids, she now has three kids and has moved into the teacher prep program. She's a professor at a college that is in her hometown. And so she still has, she gets to work in high school classrooms, but with prospective teachers. So how stinking cool is that? And I think one of the coolest things about Jenna is that when she first met with, like it says on her website, during my first meeting with the director of my doctoral program, he asked me why I wanted to pursue my PhD. My answer was easy. I want to research. And so through the experience of researching and teaching full-time all at the same time and having her first baby and getting married, like all of these big life events were happening, she was able to find her passion, which was sharing the educational research she conducted in her classroom 
and sharing it with educators all over the world. She has published in many different journals and textbooks, presented at conferences like NCTE, CITE, and PCTELA. Um, she is one of the founding members and one of the four members that makes up the Keeping the Wonder Workshop and Keeping the Wonder Group. We have had the, all four of those ladies on the podcast before and had a wonderful conversation when they uh, published their book and released their book about keeping the wonder in the classroom. And so this conversation is going to come as no surprise that it's full of ideas, full of passion, full of excitement. And I'm very excited for you all to hear us talk about choice, about independent reading, and about all that goes along with it. So enjoy and cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody. I would like to give a big, huge, warm, brave new teaching welcome to Dr. Jenna Copper. Welcome back, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today talking about one of my favorite topics, actually. You were the first name, actually, that came to my mind when Amanda and I were talking about, like, okay, let's do a whole independent reading, choice reading series, because we've been doing some series on the podcast, and it's been nice, because we can take big teaching topics, like especially ELA topics, and chunk them up into different parts. And when we were talking about who, you know, like, who of our friends can we talk to? And I was like, well, Jenna, obviously. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, good, yeah. because this is... This is an easy one for me. This is one of my favorites. I'm very right? passionate about this topic. So, yeah. There's some of the ones, yeah. Like, this is one of the ones that you can just like talk without even having to really think about it. You don't have to go back through your Google Drive. Like, it's all right there because it it's is so fun. So, before we jump into independent reading, I gave a little bit of a bio of you and just like the amazingness that is you in the intro, but would you just introduce yourself for anybody who might not be super familiar with you, like your teaching journey and kind of where you're at today? Sure. So hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, my name is Jenna Copper, and I was a high school English teacher for 13 years. Last year, I had a lot of really big changes happen in my life. I had my third and final <laughs> uh, baby. It is, yes, he is our final. And so I was on maternity leave and had a really surprising opportunity to make a transition from teaching high school to teaching education courses at a local college. And truly, I wasn't really prepared to make that big jump, but tenure track positions in education, specifically focusing in literacy, don't really come up that often. And this position actually ended up being within walking distance to my house. So I made the transition at the beginning of this school year, and I am absolutely loving it. I teach future teachers, and I get to teach some writing courses and some foundational reading courses. And I'm really, really loving this new position. So uh, this topic today is actually something that is very important to me because it's not just my experience as a high school English teacher that this topic is relevant to, 
but also something that I am now passing on to yeah. my future teacher students. So um, I, I'm really happy to be able to talk about it on like both ends, really. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I think it's so fascinating. We were talking a little bit before we started recording just about like, it's kind of bleak. The uh, it, Not completely bleak, but I feel like if I was 19, 20 years old and looking at becoming a teacher now in this world, things look very different than they did when I was actually 19, 20 years old. And so I feel like having somebody like you who is a veteran classroom teacher who has done, I mean, you've got your doctorate, right? Like you're, you're obviously knowledgeable in your field and in practice, but then also like you've got a good balance of like, we're not talking toxic positivity here. Like, it's not like everything's great and you just mold minds and change. Everything's wonderful. (laughs) Um, It's like, yeah, teaching's really hard. And so like to have someone like you as a teacher and a mentor for our new teachers, I think is just so amazing (laughs) to find. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's definitely um, important to have a healthy dose of reality. And that's something that (laughs) is really important to me in my new position that in the secondary classroom, like I was for all of those years, still maintaining those connections and maintaining those ties so that I am still, you know, having that grasp on what it currently is like. And I'm fortunate because my husband is also a teacher. My brother and sister-in-law are also educators. And I have many friends at our local high school. So I've been able to get in and do some observations, do some collaborations with them. So I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. But I have just found that that is so, so important when working with pre-service teachers to be able to talk about your past experience as a teacher, but also to be able to say, currently that I know what you're going through and this is the reality of it. And we're going to prepare you for the reality of it. And that's been really important. Yeah. Prepare you for the reality with like eyes wide open and like on the flip side of that coin, not diving into that negative spiral that happens a lot on social media, especially Amanda and I talked about it. Oh gosh, I don't even, I think it was like last season on the podcast, we were talking about TikTok and I was like, I don't know that I would make it if this is the example that I would look at because- there like there cannot be only the two extremes right there cannot be right. only that everything's great and shiny and wonderful but also everything's terrible leave the profession like that can't right. that's actually something we were just talking about in some of our faculty meet- meetings this past semester but it's really really important for us and we're building in as much real teaching like in the classroom practice as we can even more, way more than what I had. I, right? I, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I had one field class where I went like once a week for six weeks and then soon teaching. And so it's really important for us to build in those hours. It's a requirement for the state of Pennsylvania. It varies for you know different mm-hmm. states, but giving them a variety of different experiences in the actual classroom. And so we're building in these experiences at the very, very beginning of really their education major. And that is definitely, we've seen that that has definitely helped them see the balance between everything's rosy and everything's terrible. You know, they're, they're really, they're experiencing the reality of it while they're still in the safe space in college where they can work through some of these issues. While they're still kind of kids themselves. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I, and really one of the biggest questions that I get over and over again is about motivation for reading. How can we compete Ah. with 
cell phones. I mean, that's always, cell phones are also the big classroom management topic. I also teach a course on classroom management. That's the big topic. And when I'm in my reading and writing classes, the other big question that's related to that is, how can we compete with this amazing device that's in their hands? How can we make it engaging? How can we get them to read? So, so relevant look at you with that. We'll look at you with the segue. Yes. <laughs> Let's just jump into it then, shall we? I mean, well, and one of the things actually that you and I first connected on, like truly when we met in person was you turned to me. I don't know if you remember this. We were in an elevator <laughs> and you were like, I'm reading a book right now. It's called A Court of Florence and Roses. And it's so good. And I was like, oh, really? And I like just finished, I want to say like Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so I was like all in my feels. Yeah. And then I picked up this book and I was like, oh, it's so good. Yes. No. So reading is something that I was like, well, we're meant to be friends. <laughs> it's so funny that you bring that up. Cause yes, I do remember that. <laughs> and I, and it was, it was so important to me too, that, that book in particular, yes. because I didn't realize that my favorite genre for choice reading is fantasy romance. And I am not ashamed to say it. Same. Um, right. You know, <laughs> and I, have since then really have stuck to my genre pretty closely because it's what brings me joy. And so I feel like that was a really big turning point for me personally, which then I was able to be honest and bring it to the classroom and explain myself as well. Right. Well, and explain to my students, which I'm doing, like, I I can't actually tell you that you should read this until you are in your adulthood and out of your parents' house, but like, I like it because I have my own mortgage. You know, it's like- a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And once you start reading Uh in a certain genre and you are pretty versed in the genre, you can find classroom acceptable, you know, related topics that, you know, books that students might enjoy within that genre that would be more appropriate because- yeah, Court of Thorns and Roses is definitely, yeah. yes, it's definitely not one without a yes. parent signature. So, well, I, oh my God. Me yeah. and still, like, I don't want to like have the conversation of like, why do you need my signature for this? Like, right. nope. Same that's here. Same graphic. Yes. Um, right. So, let's jump in. Actually, whenever we start on the podcast talking about like a topic like independent reading, we mm-hmm. <laughs> Amanda and I have found many times that we have to define what it is so that we're both talking about the same thing. I understand that. Like we do it all the time. We're like, oh, wait, that's not what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? And some of it comes from being from different parts of the country and just having different edubabble terms for things. And then also just each of us being in our own universes and like thinking we're explaining things that we're not explaining. So would you explain when you think of independent reading, what is it like? What does it look like in your classroom? What is the practice of independent reading within your curriculum? Sure. So at its foundation, what I think of when I think of independent reading is really choice and voice. So students have a choice in what they want to read, how they're going to engage with it, and their voice comes through in the way that they analyze it and the way that they interpret it. So it can look very different depending on the class, but essentially there's two ways that it sort of evolved in my classroom. I started with just a replacement of a traditional whole class novel unit Mm -hmm. and decided I'm just going to experiment with, instead of we're all going to read the same book, we're going to do a unit. We're going to have the same objectives. I'm very passionate about backwards design. Um, So I always start with the 
goal? What's the, what's the main goal mm-hmm. related to standards uh, specifically? I'm in Pennsylvania. So our PA common core standards, and then some form of essential question that could be universal for a whole choice novel um, unit, whole choice, meaning the whole class reads the same novel at once or a choice novel unit. So I took that basic idea and I just decided instead of forcing them to explore this essential question with the same novel that we've done in the past, I'm going to give them a choice. And I started off slowly. I gave them a choice of five different selections, selections that I had read. That's where I felt the most comfortable. And we did activities that all students could engage in no matter what book they were reading. So I sort of created a novel study that was universal enough that it would engage them in some of these important topics to have them answer that essential question. And I realized over time, though, that I didn't actually need to read the book in order to ensure that they were on the right track and achieving the goals. And so after a few years, I started giving them more choice within some constraints. So they had to do a proposal and I had to approve the book. Um, And it had to be something that was accessible in our school library. And that was based on some of the rules of our school district, essentially. Sure, no, that uh, makes sense. Right. It made it easier to facilitate. Yeah. And it makes it more equitable, like where you're not like, well, you can have anything if you can get it, which I've found. Right. I I thought I was being great. Like, well, if you can get your hands on it. Yeah, great. We've got this great library. We've got the public. And then I was like, actually, I'm really cheating kids who can't get that. Who can't get that. Right. Yeah. I just didn't even realize. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so that was sort of how we started it. And I was very fortunate to have a supportive librarian and media specialist who we, we really did have a great selection of books. So that that made it doable. And I started collecting books in my own classroom mm-hmm. as well that were part of that whole approval process. And it eventually turned into essentially within those within those constraints, I should say, um, it turned into a full choice project. Um, I also did something similar then when I realized what success we had, the buy-in. Mm-hmm. I mean, really one of the goals of the project was just that students left high school having read one book that they really, really liked. So I kind of viewed it as an exploration into genre because that's what I didn't, I couldn't believe that I was an English literature major. That was my undergrad degree. And I had never realized after all, I mean, I was an avid reader my whole life. I just had never found the genre that that I'm like so passionate about now in fantasy romance, which... I know. I say it this. I say it with the same kind of like giggle at the back of my throat, but I like freaking love it. Like I love it. I love it. It's my favorite, and I've read so many great books. Yes, I found so many great authors, Um, and so I share that with students. And the whole point, really, meet those goals and essential questions, and then in addition to that, that they've get to read something that they enjoy. And I actually took that same idea and concept because it was so successful and brought it to my AP literature and composition class. The only stipulation there was that I asked them to choose a book from the, it's sort of a suggested reading list from AP. I think it's from a college board, right? Yeah. Yeah. College board. Yeah. There are some unofficial ones as well that people have done. They've compiled like works that have commonly showed up on the open ended literary argument essay. 
but it's a huge list. And so oh, it's even humongous. With that, yes. Yes, exactly. There's still a large uh, list to choose from and we had so much success with it. So I have been such an advocate of it since then. And, and for me, it's really been sort of in replacement of uh-huh. the traditional whole class novel unit. And that's not that I am anti at all because I'm not. I love, I love whole class dramas. I love doing uh-huh. a Shakespearean play, a tragedy. Um, I used to love doing The Crucible, An Enemy of the People. I love plays because they lend themselves to more of that interaction. Oh, totally. sure, you know, you're I mean, just, you're, you're preaching to the choir over yes, here. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I love a whole class work. It is definitely not that at all. But I've just found so much success with the choice reading unit that it didn't make sense to go back. Same. In a lot of ways, same. I've found teaching younger kids, I do more like all class and then choice to kind of like mm-hmm. train them and then yes. get moving. Um, I have a few questions. First sure. of all, when you were teaching, you're on a semesters, right? I am on semesters now, but I was on uh, like four quarters when I Oh, you were on quarters school. before. Okay. Yes. How yeah. long do you, I mean, in your estimation, how long was your average like choice unit or just novel unit in general? I guess it doesn't matter one way or the other. Yeah, I would say that in general, it was about four weeks. So three weeks to read the book and engage in those activities to prepare them for the final assessment. Mm -hmm. And the final assessment was my absolute favorite part of it. So we did that for about a week at the end. And it was what I, I like to call it a creative thinking project. But essentially, just like at the beginning, when they made a proposal for their book, they wrote a proposal for some form of a product to teach us about an important factor of the book. And so they were just so creative. I mean, all sorts of different types of projects from hands-on projects to writing projects, um, some video projects. I have, I've had students use technology students that, you know, didn't, it just, it was a whole variety of things. And it was a really good indication if a student number one, read the book, Right, which I was right. a little worried about that to begin with. How, how am I going to assess? Did they actually read the book? It turns out I didn't really need reading check quizzes to figure it out. If they couldn't talk about it, they, they definitely you know, right. weren't caught up. So it was a good um, internal motivator that way. But um, it also told me if they liked it because the passion that they had for these projects afterwards was phenomenal. And I do have to say, because we were talking about reality in the beginning, that is not to say that every single student came up with the most yeah. engaging, exciting project ever. But by and large, it was very successful in their assessment of it afterwards. So it's something that I would always ask them about afterwards. They would tell students incoming for the next year, oh, just wait till you do the creative thinking project. That's so cool. So there were other qualitative indicators um, that said it was successful too. So talking about your parameters, I'm assuming like, because I've tried this out a couple different ways, like there are different approaches. Like, did you do like a genre approach? Did you do a time written approach? What were, what were the parameters that you ended up get? Like when you saw the most success, what were the parameters that you gave kiddos for choosing their novels? Yeah. So I, I think this is a good point to add that I was teaching seniors with (laughs) the first choice reading project. And then with my AP lit class, it was a combination of highly motivated 11th and 12th graders. 
So I want to make sure that I say that because there are definitely other stipulations and parameters that I would give uh, depending on the class. So oh, totally. Well, and there's different scaffolding needed depending on absolutely. the level and the like right. education needs and all that. Absolutely. Yes. But like good to note. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the first thing is that this project was our last major unit of the year. And there's so many different ways that you can make this work in your classroom. And I'm just going to give you mine as an example so you can kind of see for our listeners how it worked for me. So I chose, like you said, to make sure that we had just about an entire school year's worth of practice with close reading and literary analysis. Mm -hmm. So by the time that we got to the end of the school year, they were very good with their skills in these, you know, these concepts, just this close reading analysis, literary, so I don't want to necessarily say literary theory, but using multiple well, perspectives to But they had the, the tools, work. right? Like yes, they, you, exactly. they were equipped with the tools and yeah. they like to go with the tool metaphor. Like they were all sharpened and like yes, all the batteries were charged. Yes, yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so in my English 12 class, the way that our curriculum was set up, it was a survey study. So we started from Beowulf and worked our way up to the modern era. So what I like to do then was for the uh, last big unit of the year, we did our choice reading unit. And a stipulation was that it had to, number one, be of literary merit. Mm, and yes. number two, and I st- of course, I stole that from the AP uh, yep, College Board Language. But it works. Um, it works. <laughs> And then the second stipulation was that we wanted it to be something that was modern because we finally entered the modern period. And that gave me enough of uh, gave me enough leeway that I could kind of guide them in the right direction with also giving me the opportunity to veto if it wasn't necessarily something that we could find literary merit in. So I did have to do a lot of work up front with them. Sure to engage in sort of a reading inventory, one-on-one conferencing, small group conferencing, to help them figure out what would be an appropriate book for them. Yeah, Um, We always start with the end in mind that this is the project you have to do. So we need to pick something of literary merit that you're going to be able to accomplish this project. Sure. While at the same time, I should say, I guess the third stipulation was if they hated the book, they had to find something else. Yeah. So we, we well, built yeah. in some class time that they you know, had an opportunity to choose, but I actually let them choose any genre within those stipulations. Okay. Um, I had some students that chose graphic novels, some that chose uh, young adult, some, some chose classic works, some chose nonfiction. Um, and so we kind of, and that, that's where we got by the end. That's where we ended up. Um, and it, like I said, we had to sort of explore our way through it. But just as an example, though, of uh, something else that we've done was that choice does not have to be all or nothing. And I think that's the big thing that I want to make sure that I explain that we worked up to it. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that when I was giving them a choice between four or five books, that that wasn't choice. That was still choice. And that was no, totally, yeah, absolutely a step in the right direction. Um, we, I, I did another project with my AP Lit class once where they got to choose from a list of two or three books and we did literature circles. That's still choice. And that is still that's still giving them the opportunity for independent reading. So that that's sort of the way that it worked in my classroom. I know that when we go all the way back to the definition of independent reading, um, obviously we are, you know, 
including some form of choice in there and to some degree incentivizing that choice. But I like to think that the big goal is just creating these lifelong learners who will eventually want to pick up a book on their own. And and that's really the goal is to actually become an independent reader. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, and just to like help our students pick up the love for stories. Yes. Whether they are fictional stories or true life, like Mm -hmm. current, historical, whatever, but just Mm -hmm. that empathy building goodness that is learning stories and hearing stories and enjoying stories and all of it, right? Like, I mean, I think that's what that's what we get out of it. That's the point. (laughs) That's why we learn to read, write, listen, and speak. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So, okay. Uh, you're, you're getting me really excited for the choice unit that I actually have coming up. We just did a book tasting with my uh, 12th grade English, uh, ethnic lit class. So much fun. It is a, it's a finite choice one because then mm-hmm. in the second quarter, they get like yeah. the training wheels are off. Yes. yes but it's that, it. it's that lead up. Yes. So yes. I, there's a list of them and then mm-hmm. students go through and they choose. And then we do exactly what you're talking about. Like the whole same questions, same activities, and then it just applies to their books and it puts so much of the onus on kids. It's wonderful. It's yes. So great. I love it. I have, yeah. I have a whole masterclass where I like talk through how I put it all together because it's just such a game changer in the classroom. Yes. I, um, I want to flip the script a little bit. What is a story you have of when choice or independent reading has like like one of your best lesson learned moments. When has it gone real poorly? And you were like, okay, all right. Oh, well, where do I begin with that one? I know, right? Um, <laughs> That's how you know you're a real classroom teacher. You're like, well, which one? <laughs> so at the very beginning, when we were sort of, when I was exploring this concept, I first read the book, Reading in the Wild by Donalyn Miller. Mm -hmm. And it was just so inspiring. It connected with me on so many levels. And that's, that was really one of the first ways that I started thinking that, that it was possible to do something different. Um, So I sort of had this, you know, rosy approach to it (laughs) and was trying to work within the bounds of how many students I had and how many class sets of novels that we had. Mm -hmm. So I gave students a choice between, oh, I want to say, I know for certain that Gulliver's Travels was one of the choices. Uh Jane Eyre was one of the choices. And um, remember, this is British literature. So uh, what was the other one? Heart of Darkness. Okay. 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 So just guess. I don't yeah, know if you I, if you can picture this in your mind, um, if you've seen these books before. Oh yeah. But uh, Jane Eyre is very long. Oh, Oliver's yeah. Travel Travels is not a hard read, but it's long. Right. Just guess how many students chose the teeny tiny ninety five page Heart of Darkness, which is absolutely the most challenging. Oh yeah. I think probably in our curriculum, it was one of the most challenging to understand. Um, so I just, I, I realized at that first try that uh, I needed to do a better job of some sort of introduction to these books or choose these books where we weren't just picking them on page numbers. <laughs> well, because I mean, that's right, red-blooded kids, right? I like mean, they're going to look do? at it and be like, that's my number. Yes. <laughs> and I was, I was 
not mad at them at all. No, uh, they're kids, right? Yeah, it, right. You totally, you totally get it. And it was definitely something that was easily remedied once I realized, like, oh goodness, I realized my error like right away. Right. Uh, but it only really took like I read the first page of each book to them, sort of like a first chapter Friday, almost like a first chapter. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, it. I think the heart of darkness had like it starts off with a sentence that's like. 28 lines long or something, you know, really, really well. <laughs> no, I think, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's very complex. And then obviously, you know, I just realized that I did need to keep, since we were all reading within the same time period, and I would have students divide the book up by like reading checkpoints. Sure. Yeah. That I needed to try to keep in mind um, if we were going to be reading you know, one of five books or whatever, Uh that there had to be some form of equity for how long it was in addition to how fast of a read it was. And complexity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can actually find a lot of that information on like Goodreads. Totally. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's like, yes. (laughs) <laughs> one of my favorite stops along the way when I'm putting yes. together, because I do a lot more finite lists. I think you might be inspiring yeah. me to like totally open it up, maybe even yeah. for sophomores. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> more on that to come, friends. Yes. 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 Um, but yeah, I've run into the same pitfalls where I've been yes. like, oh, okay. So that one choice that I put on there as like, a, I'm going to steer a few kids who maybe have some like high need IEPs sure. towards that. And then like, all yes. of a sudden I'm all out of copies of right. The Hobbit or like Lord of the right. Rings. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, it's actually like a little low for you guys and it's long and dense. So like, I don't know what you were thinking, but it's not the same as the movie. Okay. Right. And yeah. I think too, that there is obviously part of this is that we want them to find something that they're interested in. Yes. And that's, it's really easy to just focus on that and not also keep in mind that they're kids. And so they're going to try to find the shortest book that they can. They're kids Uh with jobs, with families, with sports, with arts, right? Like they they very much, I think ideally they want to be like, yes, most kids want to find something that they're interested in. And then reality sets in and they go home that night and they're like, actually, I was talking to my friends, you know, like they, and then time is gone. And they're like, can I switch to the novella? Yeah. And I'm also a big advocate for uh, homework with a purpose. And and that's it. Um, And and I mean, especially I have, that's one of those things that I have really evolved on in looking into more equitable teaching practices and assessment practices, um, but also just as a mom and having a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, just like you, Marie, and like realizing like, like, hey, these kids have a lot of things going on out of school. Yeah. So when attempting to create this project, whether you're giving them, you know, full choice or you are having them choose from a selection of different novel topics or choices that we really need to keep in mind that they do have to have this read within a certain time period. And so yeah, give them yeah. as much time as you can in class, but also guide them to like, hey, we want you to enjoy something, but you probably shouldn't pick a thousand page book because this right. is a three to four week project. So, right. well, <laughs> so that and, but it's, mm-hmm. it's also a great opportunity as their teacher to give them really pragmatic life skills well, of like, absolutely. you know, I, I love reading at night and I would be known to read until two o'clock in the morning, but I still have mm-hmm. to wake up at five to get yep. ready, to get absolutely. my kids ready to go to school the next day. So like, Maybe, you know, I mean, we're just kind of teaching them time management. We're teaching them how to balance because I love when kids get so into their book. Remember when uh, One of Us is Lying came out? 
Like that. Remember remember how like kids ate that book up? I found myself having to say, we have to put our books down so that we can do class. And if I can get through all of this together, you know, we can do this, then we can keep reading. But like, it's that balance piece of, I'm so glad you love this. That's hashtag goals. What you're doing right now, kid. And also we have other responsibilities within class and then we can get back to our books. 100%. And I think too, one of the other, uh, big aspects of this that I haven't mentioned yet is that modeling is huge. So modeling, like a think aloud thought process of what I would choose and why I would choose it and the things that I would think about. And then when they read, this is a question I get a lot. So if they're just reading in class, like, what are you doing? And the answer is I'm reading. I'm going to read too. I'm going to model that we're reading together. Obviously, if a student needs something or you conference, it's a great time to be able to do that. But if you're doing a sustained, silent, sustained reading, you know, why not just have that, just read with them and model like I'm interested too. So I think that it's modeling on a number of levels. Well, and it's also, I mean, and that, that is hard. Like, so Mm -hmm. that part is very, very hard because you see like, oh gosh, I saw that email come in. Oh, oh, I could get those quizzes graded really fast. Oh, uh, uh, I could plan for tomorrow. It seems like free time. But if more often than not, we are modeling what we want them to be doing, which is prioritizing this, which is the act of reading in that moment, right? Like they have other things that are going on as well. So again, we're like modeling those life skills above all else. It is hard though. It is really hard, especially as somebody who's good at multitasking. Well, yeah. And like my brain goes pew, 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 pew. And I'm like, oh my God, I could have gotten so many check marks on my to-do list. (laughs) I know, right. Because if they're engaged and they're, most of them are, you know, engaged in reading, but I, I have really noticed Yes. And it makes a difference. Yes. When they see me sitting at the front reading along with them. And then when you put it down, I notice they start putting them down too. Okay, it must be our time's over. Right. So it, it definitely has an effect, but you're right, it is hard. They look for those social cues. Well, and mm-hmm. I found that they're more apt to talk to me about their books because they're going to ask me about my book, right? Yes. Like they'll, they'll be yeah. like, oh yeah, you're doing it too. Even though they ne- they know that I read because I tell them how late I'm up each night reading. Yes, like exactly. we talk about it first thing in class. Like I was only up until 10 last night and they're like, wow, you must've been tired. Uh, <laughs> but they will talk to me more about what they're reading if they yes. see me doing the act of reading. I, it yeah. all just... Like when we talk about it, it makes sense. But again, in the moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's something hard. too. I love those conversations. They're are the best. So great because it was like, I saw it from a very unique angle because my husband, who also taught at the same school district that I did, he is a very big reader, uh, but we have very different genres. Yeah. So I was <laughs> he's not, never... he's not reading Sarah J. Moss, The Court of Thorns. No, he is interesting. No, he, not uh, at all. <laughs> Um, he wouldn't even know like what a romance novel is like that. Right. Yeah. He'd be like for why? Um, exactly. <laughs> At the same time, it's great because he does a lot of book talks with students where he'll just tell them like what he's reading and how it's relevant to the class. Mm-hmm. Well, he teaches government. So he's reading a lot of, he teaches U S history and, uh, U S government. So, you know, what he's reading to me, I find it very interesting. I just sure. want to take the time to, to read it, you know, it uh, would be a more interesting documentary or like episode yes, of 60 minutes. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I feel like I have the best of both worlds because he'll tell me about it and I find uh-huh. it super engaging and I don't even have to read it, but Thank I you. mean, I'm not going to read like an 800 page book about a president 
when I'm just more into, I, I just love the genre that I love. And yeah. same thing goes for him. He would not want to read what I read. Sure. Um, and so it's a really good lesson for them because I think that approaching it from the perspective of like, well, that's, here's how I'm thinking about it. I'm not just this English teacher that is forcing you to read. No, this is my experience too. Mm -hmm. It goes a long way. It really does. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. And it it helps with relationship. I mean, it helps with all of that classroom management stuff too, because it makes us people to them in in more ways than like, we're just a grown up who knows everything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. I I actually, okay. I think we have time for like one more question. We've started, you started talking about like, conferencing with kids and the activities that you do at the beginning to help them find something that they like. What is one of your favorite activities to help students choose a book or to help them even know where to start? Because that's where they get is lost. Yes. They do. Yeah. Yes. I love an activity called a book buffet. Mm. So it is similar to a book tasting, but basically what I do is I will actually bring in artifacts from the book and put them in. I get those cheap tins. We usually like have them at our house. Uh, those cheap tins from the dollar store that you would use at like a barbecue. Oh, like the roasting tin things. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and I'll put <laughs> artifacts from the, uh, from the book or from different books. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the goal here for doing, you know, some sort of choice or independent reading project. Um, And I'll put different artifacts for the books and then I'll have the books kind of spread out around the room and students come up and they take artifacts off of the book buffet and they bring them back to their seat and they just start engaging in uh, discussions with the people sitting around them. What do you think this artifact means? How do you think it relates to this book? And so it's just a variation of a book tasting. And it is, um, it's just something that I've noticed starts them off on the right foot that this is something different. It's novel. Um, It's, you know, what we call from keeping the wonder a flashbulb activity. So it's something that is uh, that they're going to remember that's going to get them excited about the unit. And I'm telling you that worked with uh, seventh graders. It's worked with my seniors. And I do the same thing with my college students. They love it too. So it's just one of those activities where you are getting them to engage with the blurbs of the book, some of the important characters, some of the important symbols, so they can start to see what they might actually be interested in, which books look the most fascinating to them. And it gives you an opportunity to talk to them. As they're doing this activity, you are part of the party. You're part of the barbecue. So you're going to walk around <laughs> with them, you know, walk around and you're going to chit chat and, and and talk about it too. And so uh, that's like one of my absolute favorite activities to do. It works really, really well if you have a selection of books that you're going to have them choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also lots of ways to do it with just any sort of, you know, choice project, um, genre-wise, character-wise. Yeah. And then you start to get ideas for what students are interested in and what they like. Yeah, you can kind of follow what they're picking up and what they're picking yeah. up on as they're Absolutely. like grabbing things around the room. That Absolutely. Is- and, and, and honestly, that is like one extreme. This is like one thing we absolutely preach uh, with with Keeping the Wonder. And for those of you who don't know uh, Keeping the Wonder, it is the uh, workshop that I am one fourth of a member of. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are, our mission is really to just engage students in meaningful activities 
that support wonder, that support, you know, interest in school and support uh, these emotional skills that are just so important right now. Um, So one end of it, of course, is like this big project that we did, but I'm going to be honest. You don't always have time for that. It just no, it, not, or energy going to have it. Yeah, <laughs> and there's truly another wonderful activity is just to simply give them a reading interest survey. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it on Google Docs. You can do it on paper. You give it to them. You let them think about it. They fill it out, and then you talk to them. So it's it's basically the same concept as the book buffet, yeah. just without all the bells and whistles. And hey, if you have the time and energy to do it, you know, go for the big go for the big show. If not, uh-huh. the other one works too. Well, it gives you, I mean, both of them give you an entry point for conversation. Absolutely. That's right. Like, I feel like anybody who has spent about 10 minutes in a classroom has either experienced firsthand or seen a very pulling teeth conversation with a student. Completely. And both of the things that you've just said, like both the bells and whistles and a Google form give you an entry point and something to lean on when starting a conversation with the most reluctant kid there is. Absolutely. Because they're like super out there. I mean, the raw, raw kids, which is you and me, we're going to be like, I also like to like, I mean, we're going to be like, (laughs) and and also I like glitter and also rainbows are cool. Like we're just going to be in it versus the kid that is not a reader in any way, shape or form because they have told themselves that they hate it. it, They're going to be harder to to get engaged. And this just gives you a, a way to get them going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, students who are self-proclaimed, you know, I hate reading that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, you absolutely can make these connections with other things that they like, other interests. So when I say reading interest survey, it's more of just an interest survey. Interest. I know. Well, and right. so many kids, it's shocking how many kids don't know what they're interested in. Right. They like I, don't I think about it. It's so weird. They, if they, if they haven't had exposure to certain things. And, yeah. Right. Exactly. So if you start talking to them about what they're watching on Netflix, you can yep. make some pretty good connections with a book that they're going to find interesting. There's obviously something out there for everyone. It's just a matter of figuring it out. Figuring well, out and helping we them help like them. trudge through their hormone soup a lot Absolutely. of times to find 100%. it. I mean, that's some of the, some of the most reluctant kiddos become the most engaged. They just haven't found something that speaks to them or they don't think that they're allowed to look at the things that already do speak to them. Right. Like they feel somehow pushed out of, yeah, I, I, yes, I love it. I'm going to try a book buffet. I love that idea. Yeah. That is so fun. fun. Yeah. I like bringing a lot of (laughs) random crap into my classroom. I'm all about, yeah, I'm all about like simple, like high impact for the least amount of energy, and, right. you know, it's one of those activities. It's like, well, I have these st- this stuff around my house anyway. Just, yeah, exactly. You just shop your house. Like, yeah, you know, shop your house. I have like plastic tablecloths somewhere for the kids, like uh-huh. just put them together. Yeah, um, and it's just a little things like that though. I mean, it, it can make a big impact. Oh, totally. Well, it, it, again, you said it before. It's novel. It's fun. Yes, it's refreshing. It's right. It's the same exactly. thing for us. Yes. It doesn't matter yeah. what age a kiddo is. It's special and it's different. And that's all the reasons that I connected with you in the first place. And I knew that this would be the perfect moment for this series. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, as you can tell, I love talking about this topic, books, writing, reading, I know, right? all that stuff. <laughs> let's, let's talk about A Court of Thorns and Roses again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, woo, I'm dropping things over here. I'm so excited. <laughs> Jenna, thank you so, so much for spending time with us here today and just letting us, like, letting me pick your brain and just sharing so much. It's, 
wonderfully helpful and very inspirational to hear somebody who has like been through real classroom things and still is so passionate about education. Like that's a lot of what Amanda and I are trying to tap into as much as we can this season on the podcast is that like renewed sense of, yes, this is why we're here. The passion is strong and it's hard. And also this is why we're here. So exactly. I appreciate you. You let our listeners. Oh, yes. Thank you. you. Hey, we're kind of all just chipping away in the ways that we can. Will you let our listeners know where they can find you in all of the places? Sure. Yes. Um, You can find me at jennacopper.com. That's my uh, website and blog. And you can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Jenna Copper. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, I'm sure we'll be having you back on the podcast again because this is your second time. We got to do this again soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Well, friends, as you can tell, Jenna and I had quite a good time chit-chatting. We actually chatted for quite a while even after we stopped recording because we kind of just couldn't stop and we started giving each other book recommendations because that's just how the conversation goes when you get a couple of uh, really enthusiastic fantasy readers together. If you're on Book Talk, you know what I'm talking about. Um, So I want to say thank you again to Jenna. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of your amazing ideas and just energy with the podcast and with our listener audience. Next week, you're going to hear from another friend of the podcast and another member of the Keeping the Wonder team, Abby Gross. Amanda and Abby are going to talk about how Abby formats independent reading in her classroom. It's pretty different than the conversation that Jenna and I just had. And Abby has so many ideas and so many resources available as well. Cannot wait for you to hear that one. And that is coming up next week on the podcast. And we will see you there. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 